Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, U.S. bioweapons warfare against North Korea and China. Our guest is Jeffrey Kay, who is a retired psychologist and the author of Cover Up at Guantanamo, the NCIS investigation into the, quote, suicides of Mohammed al-Hanashi and Abdul Rahman al-Amri. He has written for Alternet, The Guardian, Shadowproof, and Al Jazeera America, among other places. Jeffrey Kay, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm surprised I haven't had you on uh, before. You've been writing about this and other topics for some time. You've just managed to publish a, a very interesting report about U.S. Uh, germ warfare during the Korean War. Can you describe what, uh, what this report is and what it's about? Sure. Well, what I did is I, I wrote an introduction, in a sense, if you will, or a commentary to my posting of a 1952 report by uh, the International Scientific Commission for the investigation of the facts concerning bacterial warfare in Korea and China. That's the official name of the report, or the, or the commission. What this commission was created by the World Peace Council with the... Uh, Instigation, if you will, at that time of the uh, Chinese government in particular, because uh, they had earlier that year, early, very early uh, January of 1952, uh, shocked the world at the United Nations, I believe it happened. And anyway, they came out and the Chinese government said, hey, the United States is conducting germ warfare in uh, the Korean War. They were dropping insects, uh, the insects uh, like fleas and flies. Um, and it wasn't just insects, but it turned out there were other materials that were, in, you know, uh, uh, scientifically uh, embedded with, uh, you know, different kinds of terrible viruses like plague and um, anthrax. And, uh, you know, the United States, of course, denied this immediately. And, it, you know, the Korean War, as horrific as it was, and it was truly horrific in terms of loss of life and, 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 and injuries and deaths of civilians. The U.S. bombing was intense. I think your own article recently, David, pointed out, you know, why are we even talking about biological weapons when, you know, the amount of people who died from this campaign, even by uh, Korean, North Korean uh, statistics, are in the hundreds. Well, well, hundreds of thousands died according from napalm and other bombings, really millions, ultimately, in the Korean War. But there's something particularly hideous about uh, biological warfare, something uh, uh, very scary, and it happened to be also illegal. And uh, this was a top-secret covert operation in the United States, of course, uh, was deniable. And, uh, I mean, that was the approach they took, and they did. And uh, then there was a huge back-and-forth and uh, as to who would uh, investigate this. By the way, it was cynically done on the behalf of the Americans, because as I point out in the article, they, they had no intention of doing a real investigation of these charges or having one done from their standpoint, because uh, they were afraid that uh, secrets would be exposed, and there are documents for this, and I link to them in the article, um, 
that would show the United States, in fact, was engaging in things they didn't want to be known. And the example in the document I have mentions as an example, they say an example, e.g., chemical warfare. Um, whatever they were doing, they didn't really want a true investigation. But this International Scientific Commission that came together was headed by Sir Joseph Needham, who was arguably the most uh, prestigious scientist of his day, a biologist, um, later to become an incredible, uh, world-famous um, art historian, art and uh, cultural historian, um, a man of impeccable credentials around the world. And uh, a number of other doctors and scientists were drawn from other, mostly West European nations, one from the Soviet Union. And uh, they went and visited uh, Korea and China. They, quite bravely so, um, flew or were flown into North Korea at the time it was being uh, horrifically bombarded. Uh, they were putting their very lives in danger to go and talk to witnesses, to see the, the scenes where they, these things had happened to themselves. And they gathered hundreds of pages of, of documentation, uh, or they produced hundreds of pages of documentation, which they also put into their report. Um, and, and the version that was the main version of it, it was also published as a summary report of 60 or so pages written by um, Dr. Needham. And what these, what my publication is about is that uh, getting this information out really to the American and the world public, but particularly the American public at this time when Trump is threatening to you know, put fire and fury or whatever, rain down nuclear bombs on North Korea or perhaps precipitate, most likely, in fact, precipitate World War III. And the, uh, the, the materials in this document and what uh, the United States truly engaged in in the first Korean War, which, is, which was much of what lies behind the animus and the mistrust between the different sides right now, need to be known by the American public before they are rounded up to support uh, what, in fact, is a genocidal war that the American government is threatening over North Korea. That's kind of a long answer to so, what this report is about. Jeffrey Kay, how, this report has been hard to come by. Where, where has it been? Why has it not been available? And, and how did you uh, get a hold of it and put it online? Hmm. Well, um, I became interested in the history of, uh, well, it's a tangled uh, history, but I, basically I became interested in the history of Unit 731 when I came across it. That, if your listeners don't know, is the famous um, um, brigade, if you will, or part of the Imperial Japanese Army before and during World War II, with the numerous other units, by the way, and detachments attached to it that engaged in hideous human experimentation on biological warfare and other such matters, and also implemented it in various campaigns, killing uh, some roughly quarter of a million people in China uh, during the World War II period by use of uh, biological weapons. And after the, at the very close of World War II, the United States, uh, uh, these people fled to the West. In fact, they fled to, back to Japan via Korea. And when uh, the U.S. got a hold of them, the leaders of this uh, unit, 731, they made an amnesty agreement. They made a deal with the devil. And they offered them complete amnesty for all the war crimes they did if they would give the United States 
um, all of the data that they had gathered on these hideous human experimentation and um, what they had learned about biological warfare so that the Americans could use it. And in some cases, perhaps go to work for the Americans as well. And uh, they made that agreement, the, the Shiro Ishii, the leader of Unit 731 and others. In any cases, I'm reading not, uh, books about this, this episode, this terrible in and of itself episode in U.S. history. There are many references given to the International Scientific Commission report and the earlier, uh, or rather the later tales of, of bio, accusations of biological warfare in um, Korea. And of course, this is put in the bibliography of numerous, it's not hard to find references to this report online or in academic articles. And there it is in the bibliography. So I thought, innocently enough, well, I guess I can go to the library, check this out, look for it for myself. Or maybe I can get a copy of this online and take a look at it. And I, I was a history major in college. I believe you look at primary material, but it, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it anywhere. And the confessions of the U.S. flyers, which were so um, controversial at the time, it was these confessions of captured U.S. flyers who admitted and detailed how the use of biological weapons happened in the Korean War, these two had disappeared. They could not be found, even though the United States government and the, the U.S. media, even to this day, continue to talk about tales of false confessions from U.S. lawyers about, about germ warfare in Korea. But if you want to read these confessions until now, it's almost impossible to do so. And in fact, there were close to two dozen such statements made by U.S. Uh, military personnel uh, this report that uh, I released uh, so people can have it um, has four of those confessions, and people can begin to read and, and examine for themselves, along with the wealth of other data that's provided, whether or not this is true or not. And, and, and I don't care if people disagree with me and believe that there really was no uh, biological warfare that happened in Korea. They at least need to take into account the, the other side, they need to take into account and look at this mountain of data that was produced by the International Scientific Commission. By the way, often just known shorthand as the Needham Report, or Needham Commission, for its head. And I found this report just by assiduously looking, waiting months, years, for something to pop up on, uh, I think I used uh, uh, ABE Books. That's a big of a plug, but that's where I found it. And I, I you know, one day it popped up there, and I've only seen, I've never seen it again. And uh, you can get the summary report occasionally online. It might even be there now, your so pages. But it's crucial that all the that the larger report, the one with all the appendices, the one with all the the meat, the one that backs it up, that that be there. And in other words, it was almost impossible to find it. Even when I looked in libraries in the United States. I called. A, I tracked one down a library on the East Coast, and they uh, they said, "Oh, yeah, well, we have this in our catalog, but it's really just a sixty-page version of the you know the summary, yeah. executive summary, so to speak." I go, "Who has this report?" I, I personally believe two things: one, that uh, it was uh, bought up and destroyed by the U.S. government, uh, just as they did with another book put out by the Chinese government called the Nineteen. Depositions of 19 Captured U.S. Airmen, I think was the name of it, which I found a copy of myself outside of the United States after a long, long book. Uh, but I unfortunately, for legal purposes, can't reproduce at this moment. And, uh, um, you know, uh, I 
labored to make this book using high-tech scanning uh, purposes uh, readable, usable by anyone, by scholars, by citizens, by interested people who really need to know the history of their own country and the history of, in this case, the Korean War, because this was a, uh, a major a war crime undertaken by the United States. And, and I have to say, too, that I was um, inspired to, to continue the search by two truly great uh, Canadian scholars, uh, Stephen Endicott and uh, Edward Hagerman. The latter, sadly, has uh, passed away in the past year or so, but uh, who wrote a, a great book in the late 90s called uh, The U.S. and Biological Warfare that particularly looked exactly at this episode. And their analyses far surpasses mine. Um, and... Uh, it, yeah, it's sure. a great service that you've done. Uh, I'm appreciative of your having done it, and we will have a link up to that report of yours at talknationradio.org. But but what is the the web address for people to find it directly? To find the re- to find what the Needham report? Yes. Well, right now it's at, uh, uh it was I embedded it, put a link um, uh, to it as well on the a doc, an article at medium.com. Uh, and it was ultimately subsequently published uh, via the Insurge Intelligence uh, uh, magazine or whatever they call it, <laughs> UZ, that, that publishes through medium.com. But, uh, you know, they can go to Twitter and look at uh, the link that the document is embedded and the you can download it uh, with a link just from the document. Uh, you could also go to documentcloud.com. Uh, yeah. And simply uh, documentcloud.org, pardon me, and uh, look for the link to the ISC full report. Um, simple as that. And you, it's open to the public. And if you search at documentcloud.org, you will get the, you know, the uh, I think that the document is titled ISC full report pub copy, pub, short for publication. And again, we will we will put up a link or all of these links at talknationradio.org. Uh, but uh, search for Jeffrey K, with whom we are are now speaking. Uh, Jeff, I wanted to to ask about this uh, deal with the devil, which I think is an appropriate uh, phrase in some ways. Uh, in uh, having given amnesty to. Uh, Japanese war criminals if they would uh, hand over their data and help the U.S. with, you know, future war crimes, as was done with hundreds of of Nazi war criminals around the same time. But uh, I I think maybe it's worth our recalling the the use of of diseased blankets in concerted efforts planned over many years to spread diseases among the Sioux and other nations of North America and the... uh, the, the experiments with syphilis on Guatemalans right during the, the, the 1947 trials of Nazis for human experimentation. I, I mean, was it more of a deal between a devil and a devil with some new technology than an angel and a devil? <laughs> yes, you're absolutely correct. The history of using forms of biological warfare goes back pretty much as far as written history can go. Um, the devil, the devil, yes, in this case is exactly, well, two things. One, yes, the marriage of the idea of biological warfare, which was out there before Shiro Ishii was ever born, and uh, the technological apparatus and the power of a major uh, state entity behind it. 
Um, it may have been, for instance, that the U.S. government uh, certainly promoted or uh, was fine with the idea of spreading disease blankets among uh, Native American uh, uh, tribes in, in North America in the uh, you know the 18th or 19th century. But the uh, in this case, what we had was yes, a, a technologically sophisticated. Um, attempt by Unit 731 people to, uh, and there was an extra twist. The extra twist was that they, before they implemented the biological warfare, they tried to make it as scientific as possible, and they did that by experimenting on thousands of prisoners that they had, and uh, these were all inevitably fatal experiments. And those, if you survived, you still had to be killed. They actually at the Ping Fan complex. In, uh, in uh, Manchuria, then occupied by the Korean, uh, excuse me, by the Japanese government, uh, they uh, had crematoria to destroy all the prisoners after they were done being experimental subjects, and um, so this this is particularly hideous, uh, um, even surpassing the similar um, but but less extensive experiments that were done by the Nazis themselves, and. Uh, the, the Needham report was unique in that here it was in 1952. And, um, the, very, the report itself begins by saying, no investigation of the allegations of bacterial warfare in East Asia could fail to take cognizance of the fact that it was undoubtedly employed by the Japanese against China during the Second World War. That's the first sentence. And I'll tell you, um, and it goes on to talk about it. One reason this report also was suppressed at the time in the United States wrote it off as communist propaganda, Needham himself was vilified um, by the by, uh, community, was that they were just saying something was top secret. This was something the U.S. denied, in, in the United, not just the United States, but the, United States, uh, the British government as well, the, that there was anything like Unit 731. The whole existence of, a, of the biological warfare campaign by the Japanese that killed hundreds of thousands in China during World War II was, in fact, um, was was covered up. With, was, with was a non-entity. I didn't read US, about it in the history of World War II. With U.S. victims as well as Chinese, right? Yes, yes, and that's even more. And even to this day, the United States refuses to acknowledge um, that um, U.S. POWs held in uh, Japanese prison camps in Manchuria were uh, were also experimented upon. There has been a kind of oblique acknowledgement, however, if you will, but because a, uh, a historian highly affiliated with the uh, National Archives did publish uh, a book about this uh, uh, just a few years back. I, I've written about that elsewhere. So, um, But the, uh, there were hearings about it in the 1980s in the House of Representatives, and it went nowhere. The United States government still officially denies this ever occurred. When I spoke to... Um, the campus, the historian at Fort Detrick, um, about uh, one of these uh, issues uh, um, some years back. The very when I called him up, the very first words out of his mouth are, "You're not going to tell me that there were U.S. POWs experimented on by Unit 731, are you? Because there weren't." <laughs> I was like, I hadn't even asked him a question yet. Yeah. So they were very sensitive to this issue, and um, but yes. But you know, but uh, that's but that's. You're absolutely correct. 
that's now fairly well established, and the fact that this Japanese unit existed and engaged in uh, bio-warfare and was given amnesty for turning over its data and collaborating on future crimes, that's, that's been admitted by the U.S. government, which lied about it at the time, uh, yeah. you know, all of which sort of suggests, well, couldn't they also be lying about having used bio-warfare on North Korea and China? But... Uh, that's not evidence. And, you know, we're going back yeah. over half a century to a period yeah. when there was an intense propaganda warfare from both sides, uh, allegations and the concoction of this ridiculous uh, uh, fictional method called brainwashing, uh, you know, and, and presumably some people believed uh, that the evidence was, was there and that bio-warfare had been engaged in, but they were not successful in passing that down to popular wisdom in future generations, we've in, we've inherited, you know, the general belief in brainwashing and Manchurian candidates and the goodness of the United States military. So who, how, why would we be able now to go back and look at the very same facts and come to a different conclusion and persuade the general public? Of it, uh, would it be because the the war fever has worn off, or what? What makes such a thing plausible? Well, I don't know, to be honest, David. That we can uh, my by throwing this out there and tossing this document out there into the world, in part, is hopefully to spark a discussion about getting to the truth and and leveraging that portion of the U.S. population that is anti-war, that does want peace, that does want to, um, that, that, that does not watch another uh, disastrous uh, main, major war. And I mean, most of your listeners have lived certainly through uh, the past few Iraq wars and the various proxy wars and Syria is happening now and, you know, terrible things that have happened. But I tell you, uh, you would have to go back at least as far as Vietnam. You would have to go back, you know, 40 years to get to a war uh, that people experience that is truly uh, of a massive nature. Um, not that Iraq wasn't massive. It certainly was for the Iraqis, who, whom about a billion were killed. But one that by that I mean one that impacts the United States itself. The United States has been uh, fairly, uh, um, you know, uh, protected in its proxy wars and its... Uh, it's other wars of, I think of them, of course, as colonial conquest, really, uh, in Iraq and at least and elsewhere, but in Latin America, the Jews, all of this stuff. But, uh, but the United States population really hasn't felt the impact of it. Um, uh, not, in, not in any major sense the way, say, to the, the total war that was World War II or the massive war that was Korea. If you speak to people who live who were old enough and lived through that time, you'll see the Korean War was very unpopular at the time. And uh, it was a... Yeah. Uh, the American government has not forgotten the lessons it learned uh, on some level, as many of them have. You ask how that we can do this, you know, this, the American... This didn't ha happen for nothing that this history was suppressed. The CIA and other elements in the United States government, um, but the documents are out there to show that the CIA engaged in a deliberate campaign utilizing and leveraging its media and uh, academia um, assets to to shoot down this report. Uh, 
they they had trouble at the beginning. They found it very difficult to even find scientists who would speak against it because they knew that the report was scientifically sound, and they and the types of techniques that were laid out and the uh, um, you know are, are quite. Uh, uh, I think anyone who reads them is going to be quite impressed. Uh, and so the but, uh, lessons the lessons that they have learned, it seems, are that they can get away with lying and that they can get away with continuing to use weapons that they condemn the rest of the world for using. So when there were yeah. there was a propaganda campaign that included you know anthrax letters, supposed anthrax letters to senators and so forth and and it, it turned out it, that that anthrax came from US bioweapons facilities. We, you know, I was went right. to Cuba last year and toured a museum of, you know, evidence of U.S. bioweapons use against Cuba. Um, I've, I've read uh, studies that have convinced me beyond any reasonable doubt that Lyme disease came out of a U.S. bioweapons lab off the tip of Long Island. I, I mean, th this, right. this stuff well, still Island. exists, right? Absolutely. I mean, we, 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 there's so much we don't know, and it, it's very dark. I think there's a psychologist, uh, even if I am retired, I cannot help but think of you know the psychological mechanisms at work that prevent us from looking at, at these kind of dark and uh, disturbing uh, facts, the kinds of things you deal with, David, all the time. And one reason is because it, it's very threatening to people's worldview. And their worldview is constructed... Um, out of many different parts, but what's main function is to keep a person feeling protected and safe in the world. And when they don't feel protected and safe in the world, they get upset. And one of the ways in which people feel protected and safe is to think that their government is a benign entity for good. And if when you tell them that the government is not a benign entity for good, and it does terrible things, it's, it's very threatening to them on a very personal, deep, even unconscious level. Yeah. And that's really what we're up against. And then, of course, on the other hand, you have disinformation put out by the government. I think of, I hate to single him out, but I'm going to, Joe B. Warwick uh, um, at the Washington Post, who just uh, recently wrote, I think it was last year, an article uh, about officials seeing uh, North Koreans uh, possibly using biological weapons themselves. And you see this in the press. Right. right? Uh, you know, right. When, in fact, it's behind you. It's, it's so upsetting and disturbing because the exact opposite is what happened. It was the United States that used, and by the way, interestingly enough, and this is in the Needham report, the U.S. campaign, biological warfare campaign, uh, was uh, not very effective. And even Unit 731, at time, you know, the, uh, at times was, uh, some of their campaigns weren't too effective either. Right. That what the Chinese and the North Koreans showed that is if you have a really highly mobilized public health uh, um a campaign, and you are alert to things that are happening, you can pretty much blunt the effect of a biological weapons attack, at least with the technology of that time. Um, and the U.S. biological weapons campaign, as those Canadian scholars Endicott and Hagerman showed, probably could best be understood as uh, basically an experimental campaign, meaning that it wasn't the major armamentarium the United States used. It was so widespread. There were 
you know, certainly at least hundreds of sorties. I I wish we could go on, Jeffrey Kay. Uh, We will have links up to the report. It's an important service that you're doing. Thank you very much for, for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much, David. Very much. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.